Welcome everyone back to the Brocast. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network, and we are recording this at a rare break in fall camp. I'm joined by Tracy Pearson. Tracy, how are you? I'm good. I'm generally pretty good, Dave. Um, I don't think we should call it fall camp. It's just, it's so, it's 90 degrees. It just is not fall. August. Here's the problem. Here's the problem. August camp. When I'm trying to search for these stories so I don't have to recreate the wheel the next year, yeah. I'm going to have a hard time remembering that we called it August Camp for the Ooh, first time ever really this year. That's a really good point. That's a very, very good... Well, just search twice. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to take everyone behind the curtain for just a second. When we're creating these lovely little fall camp centrals or... Uh, they I'm doing, are lovely, aren't I'm they? doing my like unit previews that four people read. I bet you are. Uh, I... Yeah, <laughs> unit preview. I'll show you. I'll preview um, you, uh, you you search in our database for it. Now you, you can't do it on the front end, but you do it on the back end. You, you search for these things so you can copy the format for the next year because you don't want to reinvent this thing. So this this machine operates one way, so, and that's with repetition. So Dave, just write down August Camp and remember to search for that. Just write but it August down. August Camp doesn't roll off the tongue. You know what I mean? Yeah, I get it, but you know what? is more uh just disorienting is calling it fall camp right now it's very stupid yeah i realized that when i was talking to kane madrano yesterday and i said something about what are you working on this fall and it's it's early august and he it's, said what do you mean in two months no he, he he kind of went with it which was very kind of him yeah but uh fall yeah fall doesn't begin until mid to late september yeah it, it, it just it makes no sense so i think we should just Start something new right now and stop calling this fall camp. August camp. Yeah. Yeah. Let's go with that. Um, here's the other thing. There What's isn't, the other thing? There isn't that much we can really take from it because, I mean, we're not, we don't want to sound like whiners. There are plenty of August camps across the country where the media are not let in for longer than what we are. There are some that are, but some that aren't. Um, it is a little sometimes, you know, funny that uh, there's almost like a little bubble around where the media is. That will do. <laughs> um, I, don't, I don't know if they do that intentionally or they just don't care at all. But I would I would be happy if I could just watch the offensive line for those first 20 minutes. Then I would come away a pretty satisfied man. If just one of these practices that I because you all are asking us, you can't even get what it is with binoculars it's still the furthest point on the opposite field and you have to look through like four drills and the sideline so it's near impossible and most of the time they're just running through you know sleds or something so it's impossible add, add to that when they're on the opposite field and you have to get your x-ray binoculars out to see through the people yes even then they are oriented such that they are often facing the end zone, which means you can't even see numbers. Can't see numbers. So not yeah. only from that distance you have to be able to see them functionally, you also have to be able to recognize their bodies from that distance to understand who is playing where. It's insane. You know the it's beauty of it, though? Basket. We can make a bunch of mistakes and no one can really call us out. We can just say, this guy's playing left guard. And if he isn't, we're all... <laughs> Come on. Uh, well, that's what we always used to joke about um, field goal practice in practice, especially when we were oriented um, to the side of the field goal post, because pff, 
nobody has any idea if those things are going through if you're from the side. The angle. media, the media is always. But we would just the media would just say, okay, we're going to agree that that yeah. one was through, that one was not, based on the body language of the people around the polls. This is you know this is some deep stuff here. Yeah. Um. So yeah, that there you go. Um. But but let's just talk about the offensive line. Let's talk since, about it. Since we can't see them at all. We did hear Chip Kelly say that he said some things. Tyler Manoa is working at left tackle. So I take this to mean, so I, he also made a point that, and, and it's a valid one, that in today's college football, there really isn't, uh, you know, a strong weak side. There isn't, uh, the left tackle traditionally has always been a guy who protects uh, is primary and pass protection and the right tackle would be a, a, a run blocker. It's just not that way. They're, they're playing, they're such spread formations, spread defenses. It just doesn't work that way. So you, you need tackles who can, who can hopefully play both left and right. And it's especially key that your first tackle off the bench can play both because you'd hate to have a guy who's your first tackle off the bench significantly better than your second tackle off the bench, but he can't play one of the positions because he's better at the other one. You've got to get him up to speed on both. I'm coming away thinking that Tyler Manoa might be playing at least that role to start the season that he's the first tackle off, off the bench. He worked at right tackle all through spring. Not that we can take what Chip Kelly is saying us, telling us in this, in those little snippets of beautiful interviews, uh, as gospel. But he did say Tyler Manoa was working at left tackle. So yeah, and yeah. to 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 speak to that, let's speak Tracy, to that yeah. because um, what he said is that we cross train all these guys yeah, at the different tackle spots. Yeah. Um, now look, limited look in 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 spring ball, yada yada yada. I didn't see that from most guys like there were a couple of dudes who cross trained at different positions throughout the spring and i'm talking about team wide yeah but for the most most part guys are practicing at a single position down to this guy's a right guard this guy's a left guard um so i don't there was know. a little bit but not a maybe. lot and he might maybe you're little, saying he not. might be saying that just uh just, just to, to throw some more dirt state. in the water yeah, yeah. um so yeah, I don't know about that. And frankly, I didn't. So I was watching. I could see the left side of the offensive line. Okay. And this is big grain of salt. But what I saw was Raekwon O'Neal and Bruno Fina. So this may have been a Tyler Manoa right side day. Who knows? Yeah. But I think your theory that he may be the third tackle makes a lot of sense, especially in light of um, in a limited observation from earlier, Josh Carlin, before he got hurt, um, playing a little bit at guard. Yeah. So if that's the case, and he was the one who was kind of the co-first-string uh, guy with Manoa at right tackle in the spring, then you can probably surmise that Manoa, having stayed at tackle and Carlin moving inside, well, maybe Manoa is now that third guy. Yeah, because uh, – and it's not that uh, – we're not taking a big leap here. Raekwon O'Neal has to be a starter. If Garrett DiGiorgio is the starter at right tackle, the only really – clearly playable guy that we saw in spring after that was Tyler Manoa. Yeah. And then I did see Josh Carlin, even though Chip Kelly did say he played some tackle, I, the two times that I've been able to x-ray vision and, and look through the entire team, 
I saw Josh Carlin working at guard. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So and he did mention Bruno Fina, and we did see Bruno Fina at left tackle during spring. He mentioned him, so he's firmly there. Uh, Jalen Jeffers um, has always been pegged as a tackle. I haven't seen where he's been. so Literally haven't seen him, so I'm guessing he's at right tackle. Okay, and then he talked about Siali uh, Talapaki at tackle, which is interesting. That could be uh, just literally there needs to be more tackles on this team. And or literally he was practicing there for four snaps one day, and he said he's practicing at tackle. Okay, there we go. So that's the, so uh, let's just say that's kind of their tackle lineup. Right there. Um, Because uh, no one else, we haven't seen anyone else besides Josh Carlin, but we saw him now at guard. And there's literally no one else who who really could play. John Gaines played tackle a little bit in it. John Gaines, I think, has developed into a good, a decent, a good player. But he was not a tackle. No. So I don't think there, you know, it'd be interesting. The other, the most athletic guy, other than the ones we've mentioned, that has some experience is Duke Clemens. And it's oftentimes, you know, center has to be kind of athletic, have good feet. And a lot of times centers and tackles are closer in ability and athleticism necessarily than centers and guards. So Sam Marazzo says he's 100%. We haven't seen him on the sideline. Sam Marazzo was the starting center before he got hurt. I don't even know how long ago. It'd be interesting to see what happens at center because, as Chip Kelly and many coaches before him, we're trying to find the top five guys. What if Sam Marazzo is one of the top five guys, as is Duke Clemens? Well, the thing with Marazzo, and I, I, I'm kind of speculating a little bit here, Clemens, I know, has playability at another position. I'm not certain that Marazzo would be a very effective guard. I, I think what you're getting with yeah. him is a lot of the acumen like the ability to like make the calls do all that stuff at center yep um i don't know that he's playable elsewhere whereas clemens is so right. if you do to your point if you want to get your best five on there well Morazzo is one is your you know second best center whatever but it might allow you the flexibility to add some quality elsewhere that would otherwise be a drop-off so but I have, yeah it's yeah it's an interesting situation it, it would have been really interesting though i i gotta repeat this if tyler manoa had been converted to a tackle two years ago. Even a year. We've been saying since he literally came to UCLA that he appeared to be more of an offensive tackle. He never seemed to really fit as a defensive lineman. He was too... uh, He was too stretched. He was was tall rather than wide. Too upright. Um, God, you know, who knows what could have happened with, with him if he had... Like say even just a year ago, but he's he's a he's a trooper for doing this. Uh, I mean, he maybe he sees that his only potential pro prospect is that tackle now. But I mean, to switch like late late in his stream is is something. Give him yeah. give him some credit. Um, give him some mad props. Um, the more I've been thinking about, you know, it's that time of year, Dave, and I want. It's that time of year when you start getting really, um, usually, really kind of optimistic, and and I'm I'm I want to. Um, I really the more I have thought about it, 
We know we know a lot of players on this team. We know what Dorian Thompson Robinson and Zach Charbonnet can do. We we know those guys. Um, we know a lot of others too, but there are a handful of guys that we don't really know that well. If they play well, if they're good, too very good. That's the difference making, I think, to make this a really good team. And I'd say those guys are Raekwon O'Neal at left tackle. If he's good, that's that, and not injured. He's that's key. Um, both of the Murphys, if they're good, as good as we you know think they are from what we saw in spring, and they give they really help provide UCLA a pass rush for the first time in forever changes the whole face of the defense. If you look at the interior depth, if Jacob Sykes, the transfer from Harvard, is good, like he's starter level um, and one of the top three, let's say, in that rotation between Jay Toia and Martin Andrus, and he's good, that's... That goes a really, really long way. We're, you know, in our mind, we're kind of not even giving these guys credit. We're not even discounting in if they're any that they even exist. Um, we have given Darius Muasawa, Muasau credit because we saw him in spring. I don't know if we've even give uh, talked enough about if he's really good, like a real middle linebacker, how that changes the defense. And it's funny, I've just mentioned all transfers, but I'd say the one non-transfer that we have seen play, but we really don't know how good he could be this year, and that's Devin Kirkwood. Yep. He's turning out, from the way it looks and the way we've heard and the way people are talking, he's, he's, they're talking about him as being a star of the defense. If that's true, that having an elite cornerback changes the defense. It's those six guys. I'm counting the Murphys as two guys. Um, what's your take, Dave? Yeah. Well, so uh, <laughs> offensively, offensively, you need. Um, I look at it this way: where you need a playable tackle. So yes, Raekwon O'Neal has to be good um, because otherwise, if he isn't good, think about what that means. Um, it means the offensive line is going to be clearly and significantly worse than last year. And if that happens, there's knock-on effects for running back, for quarterback, all the things that you're building into your calculus for this year that Dorian Thompson-Robinson is going to continue to improve, that Zach Charbonnet is going to put up Paul Perkins' numbers, all those things kind of fall by the wayside if you're not getting effective offensive line play. So that one makes sense. And then defensively, this is the interesting part for me because I agree with you, and I would go so far as to say I'm relatively convinced the Murphys will be good. And I'm relatively convinced that Darius Muasau is good. Um, okay. I think Devin Kirkwood, you know, it's it's yeah, it's possible. I, I think he he definitely shows all of the the raw traits you want in a lockdown cornerback. It's just he doesn't really have the reps yet. Um, but I guess defense is so scheme dependent um, that those guys could be good, but if the scheme is particularly conservative in some odd ways um it's not just simply that they must be good like the murphy twins will have to be bruce davis and justin hickman reincarnate um darius muasau will have to be eric kendricks um to make a conservative defense look good 
And we don't really know at this point uh, what that defense is going to uh, emphasize, what it's going to be focused on, what its goal is. I wouldn't say in spring we saw... Um, I wouldn't say we saw an over-reliance on blitzing. I would say there was some unique stuff they were doing up front uh, that was cool. Um, some real pass rush formations. But it was spring. They were playtesting a lot of things. What it looks like when we get to... Because we've been in this position before where we look at the talent on defense and say, you know, a few of these guys are pretty good. It's going to be a really good situation. And I guess my concern is, I think people were saying that about the Joe Tracy defense at one time. <laughs> And uh, that did not turn out that way or anything close to it. And we've just we've been faced with this so many times that I think a lot of it is dependent on McGovern. A lot of it is dependent on what kind of what kind of coordinator he plans to be this year, um, because I think there's raw ability. I think you've got the Murphys I think Musau. Um, I think there's there are players who can make plays, but they have to be put in position to do it, especially on defense. Um, it's interesting, too, when. Um... I overall, you know, I'm not saying that there was a lot of substance to what Chip Kelly said uh, on what day was that? Tuesday. Tuesday. Uh, um, but we have a lot to t- we actually derived a lot to talk about from it. Um, he did say uh, he w- what he found compelling about McGovern at DC is to bring in someone who had uh, a better potential ability to scheme for coverage, to bring in more sophisticated uh, coverages. So there was at least that recognition, right? Um, what what's It made me think this though. So Chip Kelly um, gets a job in 2017, right? December. Sure. He hires his friend, Jerry Azanero, as defensive coordinator. If you remember, they were, they were, they, they were employing the old Oregon defense, right? That's three, four defense that Oregon employed. When they first were recruiting to it, they didn't want any three technique guys, no six, two, 280 pound guys. They either wanted a defensive end who was six, five and 260, 270, or a nose tackle who was six, two, two, three, six, two or six, three and 330 pounds. They, they quickly, did, well, not quickly. Why did I say that? It took two years before they decided, wait, this isn't working. We need a new kind of scheme. They went out, bring in Brian Norwood, who tweaked it a bit. And then that really hasn't, it helped. Got to admit it helped, but it hasn't really, you would say, worked at an elite level. Now they're bringing in, so it's taken him into his fifth season to maybe, I'm not even going to venture to guess whether it's going to be successful. But there's something there's something to be said. A lot of people had this opinion, and shout out to you if, if, this, if this were you back in 2017. You, you always need a coach who's going to hire someone who's up to date on what's happening in college football. It seems like Chip Kelly's biggest mistake or miss was that he's been scrambling to bring the defensive scheme up to modern college football for going on five years. Now, I don't know if that's going to happen, but that's what's that's what he has been doing. And someone made a good point, and we've always made this point on the forum. I think I've made it a hundred times, as have you. If you still just had a decent, decent to good defense over the last four years, 
we would not be talking about any of these issues or controversies over Chip Kelly. The team would have won, and it would have won at a probably a, a very acceptable level. So it's all about it's all about the defense. I, I still, like you said, I still I believe the offense is going to be good. He will scheme for it to be good. I'm rambling here, but I'm thinking about more interesting stuff. Did you see that there was some article about uh, they uh, interviewing of opposing Pac-12 coaches talking anonymously? And basically said, yeah, hey, UCLA's offensive line wasn't that good, but Chip Kelly's run scheme is so good it makes them good. I really believe the offense is, is going, unless it's decimated by industry, by, by injury, it's going to be good. So it's all about the defense. Yep. And it's just really tragic here that... Chip Kelly 2022 can't take, get in like a hot tub time machine, just go back to 2017 and say, go out and get an elite defensive coordinator right now. Hit the, hit, hit, hit the ground running right now from a scheme standpoint, and you'll be fine. It's, it, the thing is, and yes, he could hop in the time machine, but uh, is there any doubt in your mind that he would just make the same decision again? Not like, if it I, came from 2022 Chip Kelly and they were sitting around the hot tub time machine having Coronas. Yeah, I mean, sure. I don't know if it's tragic. I don't know if it rises to the level of tragedy, to not, tragedy. to not recognize a real-time error. Like, the thing is... No, I mean, one... it's tragic for UCLA fans. <laughs> oh, well, that's... No, yeah, no doubt. I always think of it in terms of the tragic hero because that's uh, oh. what UCLA is often hired as a head coach, but I don't think Chip fits the mold. Um yeah, I mean, I think we're we're yeah we're 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 saying the same stuff. I mean, it's 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 the defense. So much of this is dependent on the defense. I'm reasonably confident the offense, even with even if Raekwon O'Neal is merely average, um, the offense is probably going to be a top twenty thing again. Um, yeah. Chip, Chip has that more or less rolling, and with a fifth year quarterback, it's just it's going to be hard for it to be mediocre. I think they're going to be pretty good. Yeah, uh, DTR is going to make up for some things. Yeah, even if the offensive line isn't great, he's at the point now in his career where he's just going to make stuff happen. Yeah. Like, things are going to happen with his legs. Um, defensively, though, they need to get into, you know, to have a truly elite season. Because I, the thing with this schedule, as we've talked about, is that you could have a mediocre season and finish 8-4. and four, Or you could have, actually, a pretty mediocre season and finish 9-3. and three, Yeah. Uh, because there are, there are nine games on this schedule that... UCLA is going to have a hard time losing. Um, yeah. And that, that's not to say they won't do it, but they, they would have a hard time doing it. But you could have a pretty mediocre 9-3, and three, and you could have – there's a there's a wide gap between 9-3, and three, and if you get to 10-2, and two, there are variations of 10-2 and two where it's like, this is pretty good, and wow, that, that's an elite season they just had. Yeah. Um, and it, so much of it is dependent on that defense getting to top 40 level. Yeah. Um, I think with the defense from last year, they would still be capable of getting eight and four and nine and three if the offense is more or less the same. But if if they really want to be able to contend with what I'm circling is three games. There's Utah, there's Oregon, and there's USC. If they want to win one of those, if they want to win two of them, uh, the defense has to be top 40. It has to make a big leap up in production, and we'll see if it happens. Yeah, and... Uh, it it really is, it has it is really interesting what what happens to your mind when you've I mean we we throw it under the whole 
catch-all of BBS, battered Bruin syndrome. And that that's kind of an accurate, I mean, it kind of really does sum it up. But you and I were talking before we started actually taping this. It is amazing how not just na national media, na fans of other programs across the country do not have respect for the UCLA football program to the point where they don't even put it in historical perspective. Okay, you can kind of understand that people back, you know, in Connecticut or wherever aren't going to really appreciate the UCLA football program and its history and tradition. But to the point that UCLA fans right now, because we've been through this really horrendous period, well, the worst period in UCLA football history, we don't remember, UCLA fans don't remember that UCLA is a top 20 program by any metric. If there's a thing on the board, and I can't remember what the title of the thread was, but it's this, someone posted uh, this tweet that that is a like a kind of an interactive thing that advances on AP appearances through the years. And you see the different programs go up and down. It's phenomenal how high UCLA was for a number of years and settled in now at, at I think it was number 16. I mean, overall in AP appearances, it's higher than Texas A&M. I mean, UCLA guys, uh, our expectations need to really, really, uh, you need to raise your expectations. This is a top 20 national program. And before the Alabamas and the Georgias were just pretty much monopolizing all of recruiting, you would say a top 15 to 20 program would, you would almost call that a blue blood among football programs. It, this was UCLA. This is what it is. You all need to come around and raise your expectations here. So if you if you look at that graphic, you'll see UCLA up through um, yeah, essentially the early to mid '90s was a top ten top program 10. all yeah. time. They were number nine of all time um, of all time. And the thing that like we run into is because the last twenty years, twenty five years have been pretty bad. Um, you, you know, you've got a whole generation of fans who have grown up with the idea that eh, UCLA is just kind of a mediocrity. It's all still there. Like, the apparatus to to be good is still there. It's been a lot of failed coaching hires. I'd say um, more so, but keep going. Yeah. But a lack of, a lack of um, institutional investment for a long time. Um, and even still, UCLA has been trucking along. I mean, right now, if you go to a good um, – a good uh, measure for this is uh, on sports reference college football. If you go to the schools section and you go to the school index, you can sort all schools all time by SRS, which is a very simple rating system, but it normalizes things across um, different eras. And you remove all the ones that are like Iowa pre-flight and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. UCLA is number 15 all time. That seems wow. right. That wow. feels right. Um, and it's all there. I mean, L.A. is still a huge market. Yes, has California uh, seen a slight drop-off in uh, high school football players? Yes, relative to what it was in the past. It's still one of the very best talent-rich environments in all of the country, and L.A. is still very, 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 very good. You can still fuel two near-elite football programs with 
mostly LA based players. Um, and, uh, it's just, it, this is the part where it, like, it does get frustrating because you're, you're contending with people denigrating the job constantly and also denigrating it as like anything that could ever be, um, something good again, but you also have to contend with, you know, uh, uh, Chip Kelly, who isn't, who isn't using the job the way it can be. He isn't doing the job the way it can be performed. Uh, because the reason you coach at UCLA or for that matter, USC is for the access, the ready access to talent. Um, and if you're not using that, then what's the point? Like why, why bother with UCLA? Why not just do this experiment at Maryland? You said like that makes sense, but, but see, this is and it does if you re- if we like how we're looking at it now. But obviously, do a lot of UCLA fans, it absolutely doesn't jive or make sense for them. They don't see it. Um, they have now become like fans from outside the region because they don't remember any anymore, which is phenomenal. And two, UCLA did this with generally over the years not great coaching i mean if we really averaged in the years when we'd say there was good coaching um and then and an underfunded program a dramatically underfunded program but when there was good coaching and we'll say uh tommy prothrow was a good coach we'll say dick vermeil was a good coach um We'll say Terry Donahue overall was a good coach. Yeah, I, I, when people argue about that, yeah, he never won a national championship. But damn, take it, what he did in the 80s was, was unprecedented and pretty phenomenal. Um, when you put in a good coach, this is what UCLA is. It's a top 10 by the end of Donahue going into the first couple of years of Toledo. It was a top 10 national program. Just let that sink in. Just let that go. Let that wash all over you. That was with a, with an underfunded program. UCLA now, like we've talked about before, there was COVID. There was Under Armour. There is the Chip Kelly football program, which has not generated a lot of money. If you look past COVID, UCLA gets past the COVID debt, past the Under Armour debt, starts making Big Ten money. There, there is a chance that you can go back to not only the kind of success UCLA had through the 80s and 90s, where it was top 10 national program. Just even saying that, I'm sure there are people who are listening right now going, no, it just doesn't feel right. Um, top 10 national program, but now with money. Like, I'm not saying snap your fingers, they're going to have money tomorrow. But I think it's, it's kind of easy to project 2025, 20, you know, 2026, UCLA's gonna have some money and be able to compete on a top 15 kind of level when it comes to funding a program. And that might be the first time ever in UCLA's football history. So there's a lot to look forward to. I'm not saying whether Chip Kelly will be here then or not, but I'm just saying this, it's key that UCLA gets a good coach on the same level as Pro throw, Donahue and Vermeil, that level of coach, there are other things in place that that are ready to bring UCLA back to at least top 15. Um, one other point, I'm taking a lot from what Chip Kelly said. Did you happen to notice when, I can't remember in what context he said, well, like in five years, but uh, 
we won't be here in five years or something. Did you see, did you see that part of the interview? Yeah. Yeah, I think it was just his classic, uh, you know, I'm a short timeline guy. Yeah, but I mean, if he's only about the today, why... Why is no, he... that's all horse shit. I mean, he just doesn't want to talk about it. Um, yeah. There's so much stuff he says that then he immediately contradicts in his next statement that it's like, you know, I mean, he's... You got to understand Chip as just a fundamental contrarian. So whatever you say, he's got to take the opposite point. He's got to... And even if he's he has to agree to you because you've backed... Agree with you because you've backed him into a corner, he's going to do so grudgingly. Yeah. Um, anyway, so it, let's get back to the more fun... This is if you if you can get a good coach and you get some money like it should, UCLA has a chance. I really believe to be a top ten national program within three or four to five years. Well, that's the hope. That's the idea with going to the Big Ten is getting the equal money and then hoping that you can um, effectively hire a new coach and uh, get over the potential. You know. There's going to be the hiccups with going to the Big Ten as well, um, with all the road games and everything. But, yeah, I mean, the, the potential, they're going to be removing a lot of the potential hindrances um, with this move and with the money coming in. So, yeah, but, I mean, UCLA has had um, a real history. And I think uh, a lot of, especially the newer fans, don't necessarily. I mean, again, Tracy, uh, it's a commonly shared anecdote. I was uh, a month and a half old the last time UCLA won a Rose Bowl. Per, I'm 36 now. Pretty much what it might not be battered Bruin syndrome. It might be bro uh, bruised. Six. I don't think it's I don't think it's battered Bruin syndrome at this point. I think it's just the shared reality of everyone under the age of about 40. Well, what I'm saying is since <laughs> since bro existed. That was 1998. That was when the first BCS. Yeah, you're the ranking. curse. Yeah, so if you all want to do this, if you all want to just keep subscribing, Dave and I, I mean, we'll take one for the team. We will willingly stop working for the next three years, right? If, yeah, if, if you, you guys all, will just, con just continue paying for the site, we will stop writing anything. If you sign contracts work. that you will continue to pay, we will stop. We'll pretty much go dormant on bro, which the football gods would say, okay, that, that works. Just to bring UCLA football back. We would do that all for you guys. We, we, we make these sacrifices for you, the people. We're givers. We are, at heart. Um. So I think overall, I think there's optimism. It's just not only for this season, but I think down the line. I think there is a very valid pathway towards UCLA becoming a top 10 program again. And, yep. and then Martin Jarman leaps and takes the Ohio State athletic director. Wow. Wow, Tracy. <laughs> well, come uh, on. If he did that, wouldn't he be a candidate for the Ohio State AD job in a few years? If, I think so. If, if uh, it's the same thing with UCLA... If anybody has any real success at UCLA and turns the program around, there's no reason to ever leave. Like, if you're the AD of newly top 10 juggernaut UCLA football, well, guess what? UCLA is now one of the five best athletic departments in the country. Why would you ever leave? Yeah. I mean, it's just, I mean, it's, it's a... It's what you make it, but it can be made into something that few programs have the potential to reach. You know, one thing I've been thinking about is... 
let's just, I'm not even saying who the coach would be, but let's just say in a couple of years, a year, whenever, UCLA goes, uh, wants to pay really among top 20 salaries for its coach, which would, let's say, is $6 million plus. I'm probably being low. Let's say $7 million plus. Um, I, I think it's going to have the money. For one thing, if you have the chance to go out, or let's say Chip Kelly goes 12-0, and 0, right, for the next two years. So you want to give him <laughs> – see what I'm doing there? I'm trying to be oh, really – yeah. Um, or a new coach. Uh, you could uh, – there's got to be a way that Martin Jarman can borrow against future windfall of, of the Big Ten to go pay, you know, 7 to $8 million for a coach. But here's the thing. It, the salary has to be okayed by the UC regents. Now, I don't even know that process. I don't know if they could ding it. I, it might just be a rubber stamp. Not sure. But you think, you know, with everything that's going on right now, uh, how the UC seems to be kind of pissed off at UCLA, if in a couple of years UCLA is doing really well in the Big, in the big Ten and they want to pay a coach $7.5, $8 million, can't you just see a revengeful, disgruntled UC region saying, no, <laughs> no, we're, we're not going to well, let you do that. And they've got to be, so they've got to be thoughtful about that and continue even with uh, whatever you feel might, about Chip Kelly, probably continue to give them those, uh, you know, 10% bumps every year so that they don't have to go back to the regions for a bunch of approvals. Yeah. Um, you know, cause that's, I think that's the story we heard at one time is that as long as it's within a certain percentage, I think it was 10%, whatever, they don't have to get reapproved. I think it was 20. Huge, was it 10 whatever, or 20? 20 per, 10 or 20%. But um, if you go too far above that, then you have to go get approved again. Yeah. Um, so. and, and it would be kind of cutting off their nose, the UC. I mean... When have they ever been accused of that? You're really going to try to stifle the growth of one of your... Uh, members, in, instant member institutions, just because you're holding a little bit of a grudge. I mean, kind of would be kind of stupid, but and it would be widely publicized. Yep. Anyway, some some things to think about. So that's some that's that's football. Kind of so optimism, guys. Not just optimism for this season, but maybe you know going forward for the next few years. I was trying to think, Tracy, why it feels like we have talked extensively so recently. We haven't even talked about our Twitter spaces, Tracy. Oh, hey, y'all need, y'all, we had a little Twitter space on Monday. It was quite fun. Um, you know, it's really funny. <laughs> How long ago, Dave? 15 years ago, we used to do chats. We had like chat software. And oh it was, yeah, and it was all fun, and we took we took questions and the whole thing. We actually had a chat. Yeah, now Twitter Space it's like this new technology. Yeah, that technology is fifteen years old. It's just no one does it anymore. It's like everyone's discovering a chat. Uh -huh. But yeah, it was fun though. It's fun. It's actually it's a combination chat and radio, yeah. um, which are two technologies, both of which are old. between several decades and a hundred years old. Yeah. Um, That's cool. We'll we'll continue to do that. Uh, Dave, would you say when would you say you might do some spaces? 
Um, so my feeling is that it's going to make sense on game days, um, particularly as like a potentially pregame or halftime or after uh, thing. Um, the after would be hard just because we have so much work to do right after the games. Like I've got to write, you got to go interview folks. Um, but thinking something oriented around game day. Um, and then maybe we'll see if there's some sort of weekly format where we can do it during the week as well. I do think it was successful. I think it, um, you know, it's, it's a, it's a hanging a shingle, um, (laughs) and gets people to, uh, hear our lovely voices and say, wow, people pay these idiots money. I guess we should do the same for some God knows what reason. Um, so that's, that's always good. There you go. Um, I guess let's talk a little bit about some basketball. Um, Hoops. We actually talked about it in our Twitter space that I had heard uh, about, you know, some performances within UCLA practice. And the number one headline is Jaime Jaquez looks really good, like shooting the ball well, but just uh, playing on a whole different level. Um, that he's impressed anyone who's who's really impressed anyone who's who has seen him in practice. Uh, I did talk about also that uh, d- uh, there's the possibility that like Ken Nawuba could r- right now, from what I know, uh, Mac Edian is still not 100% to go. He's still it, I, I think his knees recovering at the right you know a good rate. There's no setbacks, but he's not 100% cleared. Uh, Ken Nawuba, that longtime veteran, if you might have noticed in some tweets, he's gotten kind of uh, svelte. He's lost some weight in better shape, and I've heard he's he's played well. Like where you could see him, 15 to 18. Uh, backup minutes. Uh, so that's good to get that competition because obviously Adem Bona is going to be the starter. Uh, Adem Bona and Amari Bailey have been really impressive. I heard everyone's been really knocked out by both the athleticism of both. Um, Amari Bailey, and uh, obviously in particular too. So really, I've heard a lot of, I've heard a lot of good things coming out of of practice, we still don't have uh, Abramo uh, Zonka, who has joined yet. I don't have a date. He did say in your interview he might be here fairly soon, right? Yeah, it was going to be August twenty something. Okay, that's not too yeah. far, too long. Yeah, so he'll he'll be on campus, I think, fairly soon, and uh, that will be significant. Um, yeah, the Nuuba thing, I noticed that um, just looking at pictures of him, um, that he, he's definitely toned up quite a bit, even from the tail end of last year. Um, we'll see. I mean, I think, you know, there, there can also be motivational things going on. Um, so, you know, I, I the the situation where Nuuba plays 18 minutes a game, I don't think, if I'm thinking about the Ken Nuuba I've seen and his skill level and everything, I don't know that's great. Um, so my hope would be Mac Etienne, he gets back to, uh, full health pretty quickly, um, and is, uh, is ready to go for the season so that Nuuba can play, you know, five, maybe 10 in a spot situation. But, you know, skill wise, I don't, I don't know that he's going to 
you know, necessarily get there um, to be a be a half 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 game participant with uh, Bona. I've heard he's he's made some strides in that area, but you're right. Eighteen points by uh, eighteen minutes might be a stretch, but uh, there might be possibility for twelve. Let's say. Yeah, and that would be uh, that would be awesome. That would be a major boon for next year. Um, given that you're going to be relying on Bona who's a freshman and you know it looks like an extremely talented freshman but still a freshman yeah and Mac at the end coming a year off of a of an ACL yeah um basketball recruiting uh right now the main headline is everyone's waiting around for Isaiah Collier um not last weekend weekend before he officially visited Michigan it's UCLA USC Michigan or Cincinnati uh yeah, uh, we haven't heard much. Um, our friend, Eric Bossy, the director of basketball recruiting for 27, uh, 24-7 Sports, said pretty much said he hasn't heard that much either. Uh, heard that there was a little bump Michigan after the official visit, as you would expect, but it's all kind of settled in now. And that could still be about the thing that we've been saying for a while, that L.A., family has some connections in L.A., and L.A., might be the destination now whether that's ucla or usc uh is still uh obviously the issue and sc has offered right now sc's offered other point guards while ucla has not um whether that means anything i mean uh, they could still be offering point guards even though they think they're getting collier i i know though and it heard that you wouldn't want to disrupt your recruitment of Isaiah Collier in any way. While he should be confident he could beat out anyone, you just wouldn't want to, you wouldn't want to like kind of sabotage your own recruitment in any way, even a slight way to give him any kind of doubt. So think about that. Um, he is playing, if y'all didn't know, he's playing in, God, I forgot the name of it. It's tomorrow night. It's on ESPNU. It, Drew League? No, no, no. This no. is this is Isaiah Collier. Oh, right, right, right. Da, da, da. Um, he is playing. It is the Elite Twenty Four, I think, is what it's called. Um, a couple other UCLA uh, targets, like younger guys, in it too. So you should probably tune into that. I had kind of heard maybe that you know he had played, he had done some things, played in a in a camp, uh, and then there was this event, and that maybe after that he might be ready. To announce, but that was just speculation from a guy in recruiting circles. Uh, I haven't heard that he was going to take any other visits, so we could be, we might be waiting forever, or we could be on the verge of that. But I think UCLA still is looking like it has a really good chance of getting it. Um, Devin Williams will um, visit in six days. No, five days on the 16th. Um, as I've said, uh, UCLA is looking good for him right now. That's the post player from Corona Centennial. Still looking good for Andre Soryakovich. Uh, if they, like we said before, if they can get that core, those three, that this would be the beginning of a really good class. They might need five to eight guys, but they'd be able to fill that in with some other high school guys in 2023, like Cody Williams or Michael Nwoko, and then transfers. And as I said before, you can probably expect at least one international player to be part of this class. But those three guys, 
that would be good. So right now, let's see what happens next week with Collier once he gets out of this event. And then, and then you got Devin Williams, um, who should be kind of close to announcing after his UCLA visit. Okay. Exciting times. Exciting times. All right. Well, you got anything else? Uh, no, no. I okay. think we've, I think we've done it well, Dave. I think we've crushed it. I think we've done this in a svelte and efficient forty-eight minutes and thirty seconds. Has any other podcast ever used the word svelte in two completely different contexts within the same podcast? I don't think so. We're making history. We crushed it. Yeah. With our with our svelte no, usage no, of the word no, svelte. Now you just kind of, yeah. It, no, I, I kept it going. It was organic the way it happened. No, it's being kept alive right now. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, for Tracy Pearson, I'm David Woods, Bruin Report Online, and we will talk to you again next time. See you all.